This is Sermon 14 by Christopher Love on the the, uh, text of 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. My son, be strong in the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Having in the last foregoing sermons treated of grace and its strength and growth, I am come to speak to this additional clause in the text that is in Christ Jesus which passage is here inserted by the Apostle that he might let Timothy know to whom he was beholding for all the grace that he had received, even unto Christ Jesus. In the 10th verse, he speaks of salvation that is in Christ Jesus and here of grace that is in Christ Jesus. To note first that Jesus Christ is the fountain and foundation both of grace and glory. Jesus Christ gives grace and Jesus Christ gives also salvation with eternal glory. Second, that those who receive grace from Christ Jesus shall also receive salvation by him, for there is an inseparable union between grace and glory, the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Grace may be said to be in Christ first as a subject recipient. And so Christ is said to be full of grace and truth. John 1.14 He had the Spirit without measure. John 3.34 It pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. <clears throat> Colossians 1.19 Second, in Christ Jesus, as a fountain, redundant, overflowing, and ever flowing to His people, for of His fullness we receive grace for grace. John 1.16 Again, when it is said that grace is in Christ Jesus, we must consider Christ first as God, co-essential with the Father, and He is the author and giver of grace and of every good and perfect gift. Second, consider Him as mediator, God-man, and so He is the purchaser and procurer of grace and of all the blessings of the new covenant, For the blessing of Abraham cometh upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.14. So that by this phrase, in Christ Jesus, there are three things implied. One, that Jesus Christ is the author and giver of grace. He only is the author and finisher of faith and every grace in his people, Hebrews 12.2. Two, that Christ is the purchaser of grace, so that all grace that is bestowed upon us by God, it is through Christ and for his sake. Grace is from Christ as a fountain and by Christ as a conduit. Three, that Christ is the preserver of grace. All the grace that is in us is in Christ Jesus. He keeps all our graces for us as the beams of the sun may be said to be in the sun, because they are preserved by their union with the sun. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 Hid, as the life of a tree is hid in the root, and the being of a stream is hid in the fountain. And herein is the comfort of believers, that their condition is more stable and immutable and safe than ever Adam's was in innocency. For he had all the perfections of a creature, but they were in his own keeping. But now, all the grace that is in a believer is in Christ Jesus. 
by whom and in whom grace is safely preserved, so as it shall never perish. The point of doctrine I observe from these words is that all those measures of grace, whereof believers are partakers, they receive them in and from Jesus Christ. In the handling of which point I will thus proceed, first show you the truth of it, second give you the reasons and grounds of it, to and, and now to prove that all grace is received in, in and through Christ, I will show the truth of this by many resemblances to which Christ is compared in Scripture. Second, by many types of Christ in the Old Testament. Three, by many express testimonies in the New Testament concerning this truth. First, there are many resemblances in Scripture to which do illustrate this, that all grace is from Christ Jesus. He is compared to a root. He is called the root of Jesse, Isaiah 11.10. Not only because he came of the stock of David, but that he gives grace to Jew and Gentile that do believe. For to him shall the Gentiles seek, as it follows in the next words. Now that the prophet there speaks of Christ is plain by the, the apostles' express application of that prophecy unto Christ, calling him the root of Jesse, in whom the Gentiles should trust. Romans 15.12 And Christ speaks of himself, I am the vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. John 15.1-4 The life, sap, nourishment, growth and fruitfulness of a branch is altogether from the root, with which the branches have union and communion. 2. Christ is called the head of his people. He is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.18 Now, as sense and motion is derived from the head to the members of the body, so also is grace derived from Jesus Christ to every true believer, every living member of his body. 3. Christ is called the Son of Righteousness. Malachi 4.2 Because as heat and light are communicated by the Son, to things here below, so there is a sweet influence of grace from Christ upon believers. As by virtue of the Son's influence, the vegetable and sensible creatures live, move, and grow, so also the life and growth of grace in the soul is from that divine influence which Jesus Christ doth shed upon believers. For Christ is compared to a fountain, even a fountain open to the house of David, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah 13.1 So that as water doth stream forth in the river from the fountain, so grace flows down from Jesus Christ upon believers, who is a fountain, where all fullness of grace forever dwells, and from whence all grace is drawn and derived. And this is the first proof. Secondly, this truth may be demonstrated by the many types of Christ in the Old Testament, which did shadow out unto us this, that all grace is from Christ Jesus. I shall mention some. 1. Aaron the priest, the high priest, was to lay his hands on the people and to bless them. Leviticus 9.22 And herein he was a type of Christ, our great and heavenly high priest, 
through whom we are blessed with all grace. God having blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 Christ is sent by God to bless His people and to turn every one of them from their iniquities. Acts 3.26 And therefore it is recorded by St. Luke that a little before the ascension of our blessed Savior, <clears throat> He laid His hands upon His disciples and blessed them. Luke 24.50 And so He doth still bless all true believers with the spiritual blessing of grace. Another type of Christ was Joseph, who in many things was a type of Christ. Joseph was the best beloved of his father's children. So was Jesus Christ, the son of his father's love. Joseph was hated of his brethren and sold for twenty pieces of silver. So was Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by them and sold for thirty pieces of silver. Joseph was carried into Egypt, and so persecution drove Christ into Egypt presently after he was born. Joseph was fully er, falsely accused and condemned. So was Christ. Joseph's troubles ended in his advancement. So all the troubles of Christ wrought for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God having therefore highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Philippians 2.9 For now Christ is sat down at the right hand of the Father. But especially in this, Joseph did type out Jesus Christ, that in that dreadful lasting famine in Egypt, Joseph had the custody of all the corn in the land, and he had the issuing out of all the provision for bread in all the land of Egypt. So the Lord Jesus is the Lord Keeper of all that store of grace with which believers are furnished, which grace is given to help them in time of need. Jesus Christ hath the key of David, he hath the key of the treasury of grace. Another type uh, of Jesus Christ was Joshua, who gave unto Israel entrance and possession of the good land of Canaan and all the promised blessings of it. So Jesus Christ gives unto his people better things than milk and honey of Canaan. He will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11 Our Jesus gives his people a better rest than ever Joshua brought Israel unto. Hebrews 4.8 and 9 Another type of Christ was the candlestick of the tabernacle. The seven lamps whereof did give light unto the whole tabernacle. Now these seven lamps, what did they type out? But the graces of the Spirit of Christ. For so it is said that there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Revelation 4, 5 The Holy Ghost and the graces of it being so described by seven spirits in this regard because of the variety and perfection of that grace which is in the Lord Jesus and by His Spirit communicated to all His members. The third proof of this doctrine may be drawn from the consideration of those clear testimonies of this truth in the New Testament, St. John speaks thus of Christ that of his fullness we, will, we have all received and grace for grace. John 1.16 In Christ there is not only plenty but bounty. 
not only an abundance of all grace, but a redundance of grace. Christians have the fullness of a vessel, but Christ hath the fullness of a fountain. Take a drop of water out of a vessel, and it is not so full as before. But draw as much water as you please out of the well of the water of life, and there is no want of water. From Christ we receive grace for grace. That is, say some, the grace of the New Testament added to the grace which was revealed under the Old Testament. Or grace for grace, that is, say others, a perfection of grace according to the perfection that is in Christ. As in a natural generation, the child doth receive from his father limb for limb and part for part, so in this spiritual regeneration, Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, doth give grace for grace. Or you may understand this expression, grace for grace, that Jesus Christ is not only the author of grace, but gives grace for grace, that is, one grace after another, grace upon grace, the being of grace, and the increase of grace are both from Christ. This also appears that Christ is the author and bestower of all grace by that ordinary prayer wherewith the Apostle doth usually close up his epistles. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The like prayer we have to the Romans and to the Galatian brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So also in the close of the epistles to the Philippians, Thessalonians, and to Timothy, grace be with thee. Amen. All this to note that Jesus Christ is the fountain from whence and the conduit by whom all grace is conveyed unto believers. As in the vision that the prophet Zechariah saw, there were two olive branches which through the golden pipes did empty the golden oil out of themselves. Zechariah 4.12 So Jesus Christ, that true olive tree, doth drop and distill grace upon his church, whereby they receive from his fullness grace for grace. But in giving this honor unto Christ, do you not derogate from the God the Father when you say that all grace is from Christ? It is no derogation to God the Father to ascribe this unto Christ, because it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And beside, Christ and the Father are one. In saying all grace is from Christ, we also say all is from the Father too. And in saying it is from the Father, we say it is from Christ too. And therefore it is an ordinary prayer, a prefixed in the beginning of most of the epistles, grace be unto you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So that in the subscription and in the inscription of each epistle, grace is ascribed to God the Son, but so as not excluding God the Father, and to God the Father not excluding the Son. <clears throat> and then again, Jesus Christ is commissionated and designed by the Father to give out grace to his people. For so Christ speaks of himself, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 6.38 Now it is the will of God that from Christ believers should receive both justifying and sanctifying grace. Our sanctification is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 And Christ came to fulfill that will of God. For so speaks the Apostle, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not. 
neither hast pleasure therein. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. So that the will of God the Father and the will of Jesus Christ are the same in the bestowing of grace. Jesus Christ received a commission from God the Father to bestow grace upon his people. And will you see how that commission runs? You shall find it in the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Isaiah 61.1 Christ had a commission under his Father's hand and seal. For him hath the Father sealed. John 6.27 Joseph received authority from Pharaoh and it was no dishonor to Pharaoh that Joseph was commissionated to issue out all the stores of corn to the Egyptians in time of that famine. No more is it any dishonor to to the Father that Jesus Christ doth bestow and convey grace upon believers. But doth not this put the Spirit out of office, who is called the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of grace, because he doth work grace and holiness in the hearts of the people of God? What Christ is said to work that the Holy Spirit also doth, because by the Spirit of God Christ worketh. It is a good rule that the works of the Blessed Trinity, ad extra, are undivided, all those works which are external and relative to the creatures, as to create, preserve, redeem, sanctify, etc., are in uh, respect of the things wrought equally common to all the persons of the Blessed Trinity. So that we may say, whatsoever things the Father doth, those things doth the Son likewise. John 5.19 And those things also doth the Holy Ghost. The work of sanctification is equally ascribed unto all the persons. God the Father sanctifies his people. Jude 5.1 God the Son doth sanctify his members, for he is their sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1.30 He loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water through the word. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. And yet, the work of sanctification is most frequently ascribed to the Holy Ghost. Goodness, righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5, 9. And indeed all grace being called the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit is called the Spirit of grace and supplication, and the Spirit of holiness and sanctification, Galatians 5.22. So our regeneration is ascribed unto God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope, 1 Peter 1.3. And so also we are the children of Christ by regeneration, for in this respect Christ is called the Father of Eternity, Isaiah 9.6. Behold, saith the prophet, in the name of Christ, I and the children which thou hast given me, Isaiah 8.18. 8, and that there the prophet speaks of Christ is clear from the application of it to him in the epistle to the Hebrews. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me, Hebrews 2.13. 
Neither is the Holy Ghost excluded from this working of grace and regeneration in us. For Christ tells Nicodemus that except a man be born again, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 and 4. So it is said that God the Father blessed Abraham, and yet the blessing of Abraham came upon the Gentiles through Christ, that they might receive the promise of the Spirit. By all which instances it doth appear that though there are diversities of gifts, yet the same Spirit, and though there are differences of administrations, yet the same Lord Jesus Christ, the author of all grace through the Holy Spirit. The reason and ground of this why Jesus Christ is the author, purchaser, and conveyor of grace to his people is because God the Father hath appointed Jesus Christ as mediator to transact the great work of sanctifying and saving his elect. Second, because this uh, by this shall the reproach be rolled away from Christ, who in his lifetime was reputed the greatest of all malefactors and accordingly suffered death. They were wont to say, Can any good come out of Nazareth? God hath therefore given him a name above all names, that he should not only be anointed with oil above his fellows by his receiving the Spirit without measure, but that the oil that was poured upon the head of our high priest should run down upon the skirts of his garments, and that grace which was abundant in him should also be redundant to his church and run down and diffuse itself to all his members. 3. To manifest that Jesus Christ was the second Adam, and came into the world to repair the breaches which the sin of the first Adam had made. For by the fall we did not only contract upon ourselves the guilt of Adam's sin, to take off which we have need of the righteousness of Christ imputed, but we have drawn upon ourselves the filthiness and pollution of sin, to take away the power whereof only the grace, only, uh, only the grace, holiness, and inherent righteousness of Christ imputed to us doth avail. And as the first Adam was the author and conveyor both of the guilt, filthiness, and punishments of sin to his posterity, so Jesus Christ, the second Adam, conveys the life of grace in all his. As the first Adam was the author to communicate natural life, he was made a living soul, so the second Adam did communicate the spiritual life of grace as he was made a quickening spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 From the first Adam, by natural generation and propagation, we receive corruption for corruption. So from the second Adam, we receive grace for grace. The first use of this doctrine is for confutation. First of the Socinians' error, who say that all grace in Christ whether his active or passive righteousness, was only to qualify his person and to merit his own glorification without any reference unto us, unless as an example or pattern. This opinion is sufficiently confuted by this doctrine, by which hath been shown that as all our grace is from Christ, so that abundance of grace is uh, of grace that is in Christ is for us. As the woman hath abundance of milk in her breast, not for herself, but for her child, and the son hath abundance of light, not for itself, but for the world, so Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. But this fullness is in order to the filling of his members. 
as the natural body there are some special parts that do stand as officers unto all the rest. The stomach receives much meat, not for itself, but that it might communicate it to all the members. The head hath the senses seated in it, not for itself, but for the whole body. So it is in, in the mystical body, whereof Christ is the head. The abundance of grace, which is treasured up in Christ, is in order to supply every member with grace. For their sakes, saith Christ himself of his elect, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. John 17:19. Some do refer this to Christ being set apart to the office of mediator, that it was not for his own sake, but for the sake of his members, and though there be grace enough in Christ to qualify his person, yet also there is grace enough in him to justify our persons too, and sanctify our natures. Second, this also reproves the error, pride, and folly of the Pelagians, Papists, and Arminians, who derogate from God and arrogate to themselves. These people, like Samson, have lost their spiritual strength, but do not, will not know that it is departed from them. They are poor, and yet are proud. And while they are setting up the praise of nature, they do prove themselves the enemies of grace. Alas, while they boast of a liberum arbitrium, they have cause to bewail a servum arbitrium, as Luther calls it. It is true, man by the fall did not lose the faculty itself, but he hath lost the rectitude of it. And yet proud man will be like the spider, spinning out a thread of his own and thinking to climb up to heaven by threads spun out of his own bowels. But let such who rejoice in this uh, mihi foli debio take heed at last that his hope be not cut off and that his trust become like a spider's web. Alas, poor proud wretch, who made thee to differ? Grevencovius, the Arminian, makes this proud answer to the apostle's question. I myself made myself to differ. This is divinity much like that of the heathens. Seneca said that we live, this is of God, but that we live well, that's of ourselves. And Cicero hath also this saying, and he tells us it is the judgment of all men, that prosperity and success is from God and must be sought of God, but wisdom, that is uh, gotten by ourselves which gave Augustine occasion to pass this censure upon him. Cicero, in endeavoring to make man free, he hath made him sacrilegious. But let us take heed of this proud leaven of Arminianism and learn from hence to be convinced of the emptiness and insufficiency of our nature to any supernatural good. For alas, we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We have no grace but what we receive from Christ. And grace is no way grace unless it be every way free. We have little reason to boast of the freedom of our will to do anything that is spiritually good because our will is not free till it be by grace made free. 
We have no power to become the sons of God till it be given us to believe on his name. And such are born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.